you'll turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. We continue on in our exposition of the Acts of the Apostles, beginning in verse 11 of chapter 3. While he, that is the man that was healed, clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the crowd. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our power or piety we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus Christ has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that as Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come upon you from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive to the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise you up, a prophet like me, from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken, from Samuel and those who came after him, also proclaimed these days, you are the sons of the prophet and the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring to all the families of the earth, be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. In the 13th century, the theologian and philosopher Thomas Aquinas traveled to Rome. And while there, he toured the Vatican with the Pope as his tour guide, Pope Innocent II. And he, that is the Pope, showed Aquinas all around all the amazing artwork that the Vatican had collected, and these massive cathedrals filled with eloquence and precious metals and designs. All was very opulent. And the Pope, being quite proud of this, said to Aquinas, no longer do we say, silver and gold, have we none? To which Aquinas said in return, And maybe that is why the church can no longer say, rise up and walk. That interaction between Aquinas and the Pope alludes to the passage that we saw last week when Peter, going to the temple at the hour of prayer, along with John, saw the lame beggar and said to him, silver and gold have I none, but what I do I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What Aquinas 
said to the Pope, obviously it was a stinging rebuke that the church had lost its spiritual power because its focus had become earthly, placed on money and riches and that which could be acquired. And that rebuke ought to hit each and every one of us, especially as well-to-do Western Christians who so easily can become reliant upon earthly provisions rather than upon the Lord. And at times, as a result, we too can lack that spiritual power because we do not ask. Jesus said, we receive not because we ask not. And oftentimes I believe that our wealth lessens our need to even ask because it has us to look to it rather than the Lord. That was not true of the apostles. It was not true of Peter and of John. They ministered in the power of God. That power, not their own, was able to make this lame man rise up and walk. And as you can imagine, this caused quite a stir in the temple that day. Quite a commotion and a crowd began to gather to see this, what they had heard about. And now we're looking upon with their own eyes. And just like at Pentecost, this healing needed an explanation. An explanation is what Peter will give this crowd and will give to us as well through this account now given to us through Luke. It was another opportunity to do what Peter was called to do, which is to preach Christ. And this healing becomes the occasion of Peter's second sermon in as many chapters to the people of Israel. And like the first, the focus is not on that which caused the commotion or even that which gathered the crowd. The focus is on Christ, who he was and what he came to do. And most importantly, faith and belief in this Christ. And Peter does it through very strong preaching. This is no milk toast preaching. This is no believe in Jesus and invite him into your heart. No, this is a sermon packed with theology and with scripture, and it's done so with some heat. Peter pulls no punches in this preaching to his own people, the people there, the Jewish people gathered at the temple that day. And we will see that in two points this morning. The conviction of killing the Christ. And then second, faith and repentance in this Christ. First, the conviction and killing of Christ. As I mentioned, this preaching opportunity came as a result of this healing of this lame beggar at the temple gates. As mentioned last week, because of his healing, he was not able to go into the temple. This was not a biblical restriction, but this was a Jewish restriction, that of the the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those that, that ruled over the people in a religious way of that day. They did not allow such people to enter into the temple because they saw this one to be deformed, and no deformity could go into 
the people and presence of God. They could not enter into the worship of God. And so God removed that limitation and freed this man, not only physically, but spiritually. And as a result, he was able to enter into those temple gates upon his own power, not just walking, but now leaping and praising God, which was a demonstration to all that this was indeed a miraculous healing. This was not healing of back pain or a stubbed toe, as some so-called faith healers supposedly heal. No, this was not a secretive miracle. This was done out in the open for all to see. Everyone knew who this man was. They had passed by him many times before on their way to the temple. And now they see this very man that they knew to be lame, now walking and leaping and praising God. It says in verse 11 that he, that is the healed man, clung to Peter and John, no doubt overwhelmed by that which had happened to him. And these people became curious. They wanted to see for themselves. And as a result, they begin to assemble in the temple courts. And a large gathering begins to take place at that large gathering spot in the temple, Solomon's portico. This is where Jesus did some of his teaching within the temple as well. We can read about that in John chapter 10. It was like an open-air amphitheater right there in the temple courts. And we read in verse 10 that people were filled with wonder and amazement. In verse 11, all the people were utterly astounded. And you can understand why. And so Peter uses this opportunity to address the crowd. But I want you to notice first and foremost what he does not say. He does not say, step up one and all. I, Peter the Great, will heal you of all of your sicknesses and all of your diseases and all of your aches and all of your pains. So go ahead and get in line. John will take your donations as you come up and be ready to be amazed. Abracadabra, whammo. No, you do not see any of this. This does not become a horse and pony show for Peter and of John, and definitely not a money-making scheme. In fact, it's quite the opposite, isn't it? Peter deflects all of the glory and all of the praise. Notice how he begins. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our power or our piety we have made this man walk? Isn't that an amazing statement as Peter begins? You would think if, if Peter wanted to take just a little bit of the glory, this would have been a wonderful opportunity for him to do so. In fact, he does just the opposite. In fact, he says, we had nothing to do with it. Essentially, he says, remember, we, we are just poor, uneducated fishermen from Galilee. Do you think we could do any of this? No way. There's no way that this could happen by 
our power. And, and I also appreciate how he says this couldn't happen by our piety. Peter's not saying it's because we're super spiritual, because we are the apostles, and we have this wonderful title that we are able to do these miraculous things. It's by our godliness that we were able to make this man well. He says, no, it's not by our, nor by our piety. This is all of God. This is Christ doing and speaking of, Peter says, Christ. Let's talk about him. Isn't that a, a beautiful interaction? Peter says, let this not be anything about me or about John. Let this be all about Christ. And that's how every servant of the Lord must be. We don't take any of the glory to ourselves. Yes, the Lord uses us. The Lord allows us to be vessels. But it's unto his honor, unto his glory, and none unto ourselves. We must be like the John the Baptist when he says, I must decrease and he must increase. And so he deflects this praise and glory from himself. And again, that is always the, the pattern of God's servants. We'll see it later in Acts chapter 14, where Paul and Barnabas are in Lystra, and after a healing, the, the people there want to make Paul and Barnabas gods. They call Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes. You know, talk about the possibility of being able to, to ride that gravy train, they would have been able to have it all, right? And you might think, well, perhaps they would like to just maybe eat some grapes and have some people wave some nice banana leaves on them for a while. No, they do the exact same thing as Peter does. They say, what are you doing? We are just mere men, just like you. And we want to bring you the, the good news. We want to bring you Jesus Christ. That is the, the point. The focus is always on the gospel. And that is what Peter launches into. And he does so, very interestingly, with conviction. Meaning, he brings the conviction. Like a prosecuting attorney. attorney. He lays three charges at the feet of these people. First, he says that God, the God of the covenant. Notice how he begins. The, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, that God, supposedly your God, the one you are so proud about and that heritage by which you come from, that God glorified his servant, Jesus. In fact, in chapter 2, at the first preaching, Peter says that God attested to Christ with mighty works and wonders and signs. In other words, Jesus had the full backing of God the Father. Just like an ambassador would go to another country, and there in that country he does not represent himself, he represents the country from which he comes, but he has the full backing, the full authority of that country. So too Jesus came in that way, to earth. Jesus was an ambassador. He was a messenger of heaven in the flesh. And coming from heaven, coming from God, he had the full backing and authority of God, the Father. And so to be against Jesus, Peter is saying, 
is to be against God. And as you know, Jesus himself was God, God in the flesh. So to deny Jesus was to deny God. They are one in the same. Peter makes that very clear. And if you missed it in verse 14, he makes it abundantly clear. He says, but you denied the holy and righteous one. Notice in your Bible, the translators were right to capitalize those because those weren't just mere attributes. Those are titles. Jesus wasn't just holy. Yes, he was holy, but he was the holy one. And Jesus wasn't just righteous. Yes, he was righteous, but he was the righteous one. Those are titles, you understand, that were reserved for the one and only. God Almighty, to attribute them to anyone else, to attribute them to man would be blasphemous. And so this idea that the apostles thought of Jesus as just a a man or even just lower than God is absolute foolishness. Peter makes it very clear. This is the holy one. This is the righteous one. This was God himself. As Peter, Peter is saying, you denied God, the holy one, the righteous one. Well, if that charge was not enough to condemn, he goes on and gives the second charge. Not only did you deny Jesus before God, with God's full backing and authority, but you denied him before man. Look at verse 13. Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. Peter is saying, look what you did. You paid Judas to betray. You trumped up charges. You had false witnesses testify against him. You twisted Christ's words for your own purposes. And Pilate knew this. Notice what it says. Pilate wanted to release him when he had decided to release him. Pilate knew that this was false, knew that they were using this, was seeing through their ways. And yet, here is this Roman, godless, pagan, acting more righteous and just than you Jews, who are supposedly God's people the people of the book, the people of the holy and righteous God, you are acting in a very unholy and very unrighteous way, contrary to the God you serve. And not only that, then you denied him before man and had Pilate, even though he wanted to release him, you asked instead, Verse 14, for a murderer. You asked for a murderer to be granted to you. A known insurrectionist, one who had killed for his own purposes, selfishly, cruelly. You said, we do not want that one who is perfect and righteous and holy in every way. We would rather have this one who had done this harm and who had done this evil. We would rather have Barabbas let loose and be on the streets than this 
Jesus. You denied Christ before God and before man. But then he goes on and lays the third charge. This one whom you denied before God and man. Verse 15, you killed. You killed. In the most inhumane way possible. Death on a cross. And you took a delight in doing so. You laughed and you mocked and you scoffed and you delighted in his torture and upon his blood and you threw and cast for his clothing as if he was a pawn upon which you could do your own wicked and evil desires. And in the end, you killed, notice how Peter puts it, you killed the author of life. Notice this is the third title Peter gives to Jesus. The author of life, the creator and maker of all things, including you. He is the one whom you killed, this one who created it all. Do you see these convictions? Do you see this condemnation? Blow after blow, and not false accusations, not false condemnation. No, he can say, in fact, we are all witnesses of this. Do you need a witness? We are the witnesses. We are witnesses against ourselves. You are witnesses against yourself. And I tell you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, this is where we also must put ourselves in that crowd. We cannot be innocent bystanders. We cannot say, that's right, that's what you did. No, that is what we did. Not only if we were there that day, we would not have acted any different. So don't fool yourself. But that is what we have done. And that is what we do do in our own lives. We have sinned. We are the sinners. We are the ones that must be condemned. We are the ones that must be convicted. We are the ones that have denied God, even though his revelation is all around us, even though he has demonstrated himself to be the author of life, even though he has made it very clear that he is the holy and righteous one. We have denied the holy one before God as well as before others. And not only have we denied him before others, but we have actually joined in their foolish ways. Thinking we are wise, we have become fools, and we have reveled in it. We have reveled in our darkness, and even in our very own damnation. All of this sin led to the crucifixion of Christ. Not just their sin on that day, but your sin this day. And so this conviction comes right back upon us, and it must. We are the guilty ones. We are the ones that are justly condemned. These three charges are laid upon us, and we are all witnesses. We are our own condemners. And yet, through that very 
condemnation. Through that very conviction that comes the good news of the gospel. There is an open door made to us, and that door is open to us through faith and repentance in Christ. And that is what we see in the second point. Peter gives the reason why this man was healed. You see it in verse 16. He says, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. You see what Peter is saying. It's faith in the name of Christ, that there is power in that name, because that name represents the fullness of who he is. It's faith in the fullness of Christ. And that faith not only made this man physically well, it made him spiritually well. Just like Jesus in his day made the paralytic, before he healed his legs, he said, your sins are forgiven you. So too, this man was given spiritual health, not only physical health, his soul was made new that day, even more than his legs. And that is the case for us all. Yes, many of us have physical afflictions, probably not as bad as this man had, but nevertheless, those physical afflictions are not as great as our need for spiritual healing. And we have a spiritual detriment that is much greater than our physical detriment. We need spiritual healing. And that healing comes through faith. Faith in the name of Jesus Christ. Faith in the fullness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that comes, that faith comes through repentance. Notice verse 17. Peter softens his message just a little. He says, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. He says, you, you did this in ignorance. However, he says, you are not ignorant anymore. And so you must repent. And the gospel is a call unto repentance. And it must be. Oftentimes, these days, repentance is left out of modern-day preaching because it sounds harsh. But that is the absolute wrong way to, to view repentance. No, God is gracious to allow us to be able to repent. You remember this is Peter's not first time, but second time preaching to the people in Jerusalem. And this message is not much different than the first. That is why I entitled this sermon, the, the second verse, same as the first. Why? Because God is giving a, another opportunity for the people of Jerusalem. If you missed it the first time, don't miss it the second time. If you didn't repent the first time, here's another opportunity to repent and praise God and to believe in the gospel. And praise God that God gives us more than one opportunity to repent and believe. Why? Well, because we need it, don't we? We need it. Most of us 
by most of us, I mean all of us, are pretty slow. And we don't get things the first time or the second time. And even often, not the third time. We need it again and again and again. Because even if we do get it, we oftentimes forget and we need reminders. And God is gracious to send his message and his messengers to us again and again. And yet, even though God is gracious to do that, we shouldn't presume upon it. In other words, we shouldn't think, well, you know what? I heard it this time, but I think I'll do something about it next time. I'll listen next time. I'll put it into action another time. I'll repent next week or next month. Oh, my friend, just because God is gracious to give it again and again doesn't mean that he has to give it another time, does he? Because there may be no next time. There may be no other time. Today is the day of repentance. And none of us can claim ignorance any longer. We can't say, oh, I didn't know, or I haven't heard. No, we have heard. And we must believe. We must come to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith and repentance. Repentance and faith, they are the same things. They are the the two sides of the same coin. One Puritan, Thomas Watson, said it's the the two wings of the bird by which we fly to heaven, faith and repentance. We repent by believing. We believe by repenting. And so we must. Peter goes on very briefly to give three reasons why we are to have faith, and repentance. Just like he gave three convictions, three condemnations, now he gives you three reasons why you are to believe. He says it first in 19. He says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out and that the time of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Isn't that a beautiful reason? That your sins would be blotted out, and that you would be refreshed by the Lord, that our sins would be done away with, that they would be stricken out, that they would be taken away as far from the east as from the west, that our sin, which is as crimson, would be made as white as snow. If I told you this day that there was someone that was willing to pay all your financial debts, your college debt, your your house, your mortgage, your car, your credit card, all of it is gone, all of it is paid for, you would do backflips today. You'd be so excited and you would barely believe it. I tell you, my friends, that pales in comparison. Our sins being canceled out by the blood of Christ. Yet that is what has happened. You are free. You are free from slavery. You are free from the bondage of sin. What a joy. What a blessing. What a freedom. We're to walk in that freedom. It is a time, as he goes on to say, a a time of refreshing. Now, the Jewish ears would have heard that and would have thought automatically back to the Old Testament, to the year of Jubilee. 
And you remember the year of Jubilee that happened every 50 years, that all debts were canceled, and all servants would go free. All was refreshed. All was renewed. It was a new beginning. It was a new start. And it pointed forward to to Christ and Christ's kingdom. Well, that is life in Christ, isn't it? We are refreshed. We are renewed. We have a new beginning in Christ. What a joy. And so you are to repent and believe so that your sins may be blotted out and that you would be refreshed and that you would be renewed. You would have the joy of your salvation. What a wonderful reason to believe in Christ this day. Second reason he gives, if you even needed more reasons than that, he says you're to repent and believe because this is the message of Moses and of the prophets. You see that in verse 22 through 24. He says that this was what was spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets, not the least of which the the greatest prophets. Moses, when he said, the Lord God will raise you up another prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. Notice what Peter is saying. Moses told you about Christ. So did all of the prophets. In fact, he goes on to say, so is Samuel and, and so all of those that proclaimed until this very day. Peter's saying, if you, if you don't believe me, that's fine. But believe the prophets. Believe the scripture. Believe what God has said to you. Believe when Moses said that there is one who is coming and now has come. And Moses even says, and warns the people that if you do not listen to him, you shall be destroyed. You shall be cut off from all the people. You will no longer, even though you claim to be God's people, you no longer will be God's people because you missed the ultimate prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ. So repent and believe because God has sent the law and the prophets to tell us about Christ. And Jesus did this too, didn't he? When he said, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe what all the prophets have spoken. All the prophets spoke about Christ. And so believe in their message. Repent and believe because we have the full testimony of God's word to us. Third, he gives another reason. Repent and believe because you are the covenant. Repent and believe because you are the covenant people. You notice this is how Peter begins and ends. Because he's speaking to the Jews, he said, the the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the, the God of our fathers testified of this Christ. And he ends in the same way that Abraham said, in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That was the the promise of the covenant that God would raise up his servant. And he sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your own wickedness. See how he begins and he ends with the covenant. You've been with us on our Sunday school series, then you shouldn't be surprised by this, that Peter would speak in this way. To know God is to know him through the covenant. And Peter and the Jews could not have thought about God in any other way because that's how God had revealed himself. Our God is a covenant-making, a covenant-keeping God. 
But what Peter is saying, he's saying, even though you are God's covenant people, don't presume upon the covenant. Presume upon the God who made covenants with you. It'd be like presuming upon marriage, but ignoring the one you're married to. It'd be like getting married and then living in opposite states or opposite countries. You would say, yes, technically you're married, but not really. You have no relationship. You have no knowledge. Peter says the same. Don't miss the point. Yes, God has made covenant with us. But if you don't have relationship, if you don't have faith and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are not ultimately in covenant with him. And the same is true with us. Yes, we are covenant people. We love to teach about the covenant and see the the covenant sacraments at the Lord's Supper and at baptism. But those are made so that we would have a relationship with God. We'd come to know God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I say this to each and every one of us, but I I say it especially to, to you children. Do you covenant kids? Yes, you've been You've been baptized. Yes, you've been raised in the church. Yes, what a blessing it is to have Christian parents. But it's not by any of those that you'll be saved. It'll be, you'll be saved by having faith and repentance in the Lord Jesus Christ to receive those covenant promises as your own. I hope and pray that you would do so. If you have not already, that you would do so today. You would talk to your pastors or your elders, your mom and dad what that means and what that looks like. That must be true for all of us, even if we are believers. What a wonderful God that he would enter into covenant with us. He's entered into covenant with us so that we'd have relationship with him. And so repent and believe in that God. In verse 26, finally, he gives the, 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 the summary. He's sent Jesus so that you would believe. And he sent him to you first, the Jews, that you would bless you and that you would turn from your wickedness. The same thing what Paul was saying, Romans, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And God delivered this message to the Jews But as we'll see through the book of Acts, it goes out to the ends of the earth. When it comes to us, even here, this day, in Smyrna, Georgia, to do what? To do exactly what Peter says it ought to do. To bless us and have us turn from our wickedness. Will that be true of you this day? Will it be true of you, unbeliever? Would today be the day of faith? And repentance. No more excuses. No more hesitation. Throw yourself on the, the mercy and grace of God. Repent of your sins. Turn from your wicked ways and turn to Christ and be refreshed and re renewed. And, and for all of us, as even as believers, that we would never grow hardened in this message. It would never grow stale. That Jesus Christ and him crucified would be the, the, the greatest of all good news. Much greater than what took place yesterday for college football or what will 
take place tomorrow or this week in the world. Always continually rejoice and be glad in it. And so this message of faith and repentance is for us too. We never stop believing. We never stop repenting. And so if silver and gold, have we none or have we much, none of it compares to Christ. He indeed is the incomparable one to anything in heaven above or earth below. He is the holy and righteous one. He is the author of life that was dead and is now alive. The proclamation of the good news of the gospel. It goes forth. It it went forth through Peter that day, and it goes forth still through the preaching of that same word this day. So let us believe. Let us repent and believe, and as a result, be refreshed and renewed, both now and for all eternity. Join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the proclamation of the gospel that still goes forth this day, that you allow us to hear. If we hear it for the first time with new ears, new hearts to believe, or if we have heard it a thousand times this day, Lord, would it come with the same conviction, the same condemnation upon us as sinners? Lord, we praise you that that ultimate condemnation does not fall upon us, but falls upon the Lord Jesus Christ who took it all through his own body on the tree, through his own broken body and blood that was shed so that we could be set free, we could be saved. Lord, what glorious good news that our sins can be blotted out. They could be as far from us as the east is from the west, that that sin which is as red as crimson be made as white as snow this day, that we would be made perfect in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would look upon us like you look upon your son and say, this is my beloved in whom I'm well pleased. Lord, praise God. Such a salvation. Such a With such a good news. Sinners like us. We pray in Christ. Amen.